Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. Hello? Howdy! Howdy! Wait, hold on, let me mute the stream real quick. A wise right. hey, idea. I'm doing okay, ready to learn. Awesome. Well, it's uh, it's good to talk to you again. I mean, we were on that uh, panel a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Viv. That was pretty fun. But um, I actually wanted to open that up with <laughs> yes, that what that did happen. Um, so I, I wanted to open up with two things. First off, I actually want to thank uh, Chat and the uh, the Vosh community. So the uh, as you all know, oh, and pronouns I go by he him. But um, basically, um, yeah, yeah, got it right there, right? Um, so, because as many of you all know, I got my first publication as a PhD student uh, a couple, like, months ago, and uh, it is, because I shared it a bunch in, like, a lot of the Vosh uh, social media circles, like the Vosh posting, Facebook group, or whatnot, it is currently still overwhelmingly the most viewed article in the issue that it's published in. So I oh, want to sure. thank um, everyone in the Vosh uh, community, uh, fan clubs, or whatnot. Uh, for giving it a bunch of attention. That'll be really good when I um, apply for jobs um, next year. So that's pretty fun. Uh, pretty fun. So, yeah, I, uh, would, uh, I would definitely say so. I'm really happy to hear that. I know that uh, the attention economy in, um, in academia can be pretty rough, so I'm happy. I feel like if a YouTuber ever entered academia and was like, got a PhD and published articles, they would just blow everything else out of the water because they'd be able to make videos being like, hey guys, you know, if you're a student, go cite my article, it mean a lot, you yeah. know, thank you. And they, and they would, they would get like 80,000 times as many citations as Whoa. all their contemporaries. That'd be funny oh as fuck. So, like, let me give you some, so for those in chat who are, like, are not as familiar with academia, for context of, like, what level of views we're talking about, because, like, you could actually go on the Southern Communication Journal, and you can actually see my article. Um, my, so, remember, my, my article is the most viewed article in the issue, in the fifth issue of the 86th volume of the Southern Communication Journal. I have 276 views. Number two is 166. Like in in academic terms, that's actually a lot of views. Yeah, so, getting them. Yeah, so I appreciate everyone in the Vosh community for giving it so much attention. That 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 means a lot. Um, so I actually so I know I opened um, when I emailed you. How time means nothing anymore. True. Um, but um, so when I first emailed you, I think I titled the email "Conspiracy Theory uh, Critique." Put an asterisk on the word critique, because I actually think you're one of the more, I guess, responsible like streamers or political streamers when it comes to. Um, uh, actually, hold on. Uh, everyone's asking for the link. I'll, I'll just, I'll just put in the. Yeah, you can significantly right increase that number of views right now if you would like to. <laughs> there you go. I just posted it, chat. Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll post it as well to, uh, for, for the pink name. There you go. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate it. But, um, so, um, so I actually do think you're one of the, like, of all the political streamers, I actually think you're one of the better, if not the best, when it comes to, like, critiquing conspiracy theories. What I'm here to do is I actually kind of want to give you, like, the philosophical rhetorical tools that scholars often use to criticize and analyze conspiracy theories in a way that actually I think will, like, make your conversations with conspiracy theorists, whether reasonable or not, 
much more efficient. So, um, so I kind of let's. I want to kind of open up. Are you familiar with um, the Grimes model? Or, no, or the name. I don't think I've so, ever even heard of it. You might actually be more familiar with. Did you ever see um, last week tonight's um, John Oliver's episode about conspiracy theories, where he told talked about um, how there was a mathematical equation where you can actually determine the likelihood of a conspiracy being released to the public? That does sound familiar, but you, but I, but so, I've forgotten everything about that. That's basically so. Basically, what the so what David Grimes, he's a physician in Ireland who basically created this whole mathematical equation um, that's saying like, hey, there is a way to determine the likelihood mathematically about how long a conspiracy theory is likely to get out to the public mm -hmm. um, based on how many people are within the conspiracy. And the whole purpose of the article is saying that all conspiracies, all conspiracy theories are inherently irrational because, and I can mathematically prove it's not reasonable. So the, but here's the, so, oh, so, so to infer here, the, the argument being made essentially is that based on what we've seen in reality, the idea that, you know, these big secret conspiracies are taking place is like ridiculous because all the evidence we have points to the idea that like you can get five guys together in a room to decide on something and you've got like a week before that's public knowledge. That's just, yes. it's just not possible to, so, to keep this info together. So that sounds reasonable at first glance, it's actually bullshit. So here's one of the problems that Grimes' art or Grimes' model, I don't know, I can't remember if that was his actual name, but I'm just gonna call for that for, for, for now. But Grimes' model is bullshit because it relies on so much epistemic presumptions that you it borderline requires you to be God in order for it to be viable. So for instance, and also he makes a lot of weird ethical um, claims that are actually really really uh very strange um so the first claim so he actually has a couple of examples his first example is the moon landing was a, was a hoax right that it was faked that was mm -hmm. that's the first example that he uses now for context if you read the article early on he actually admits that we should in in order to be as good faith as possible to conspiracy theorists we should use as low of a number as possible of the possible members of a potential conspiracy we should use as low as number as possible to be as good faith to the conspiracy theorists so his first example is that the moon landing was a hoax so that it was faked well then you actually get to him applying that model to that conspiracy supposed conspiracy and he includes every single employee at NASA, all like 500,000 employees. Well, wait, hold on. That's a little, that's a little odd. That's an odd way of applying that model because would, would the desk receptionist be part of the conspiracy? I don't know. And you know who else doesn't know? Neither does Grimes. And that's kind of the problem with what Grimes' model does is that what he's focusing too much on is he's focusing too much on the number of people in a conspiracy and not the structure in which that it's not the structure of the conspiracy. We've all seen conspiracies of of people of like people within a conspiracy being part of another group that the other members weren't privy to, right? People within a conspiracy often withhold information from other members of the conspiracy. So to sit here and say like like sheer numbers is going to like what makes it unreasonable kind of misses the point of how how like conspiracies often get structured. 
Um, and so the reason why I'm, oh, oh and the, I guess the, the other moral thing that he um, says, that I think is morally kind of like, uh, 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 real fucking dicey. So his second example is the Tuskegee experiments. And uh-huh. first off, he says something that's incorrect. He makes the claim that it took 25 years from the Tuskegee experiments to be revealed to the public, despite the fact it wasn't really like fully acknowledged by the government until the Bill Clinton administration in the 90s. So it was more like 45 to 50 years after the after the Tuskegee experiment. So basically what Grimes is actually saying is, don't worry, folks, if you were subjected to the Tuskegee experiment, don't worry, that conspiracy will be revealed in like 25 years. Okay. Wait, Even let, if me, we were... let, let me stop you right here. Because yeah. I understand everything you're saying, but I'm going to frame it because I know there are people in my audience who aren't following necessarily. Gotcha, um, gotcha, gotcha. Your, your giga PhD brain. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I, 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 I try my best. So as, so as I understand it, okay, what we're talking about right now is understanding how to debunk conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are and always have been a really big part of political discourse, unfortunately, and methods to determine whether something is just a baseless conspiracy theory, how to argue against it, how to convince people, it's really, really important. And what you're saying is that this model, which is which is uh, generally well-known and has been applied in many cases, um, this Grimes model, is one which essentially just takes into account the number of people who would have to be involved in order to maintain a secret. And you're saying that's a dumb model in large part, because, well, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's possible for people to work towards the ends of a conspiracy without them knowing what they're doing. Like, for example, if you had a big factory that employed like a thousand people, but, you know, instead of weapons that it produced being shipped to one group of people, they're shipped to another terrorist group. Potentially, you could do that with only a couple of people in shipping and management knowing. It would be po- like, te- or like sales. Like, you could, you could, yes. like, not everyone involved in production would have to know about that. Like, there's no reason for them to. They don't even know have to know about the non-conspiratorial cover story they could they don't have to know anything um and additionally different people and different types of information are more likely to leak than other people or other types there are also different systems that can account for different levels of secrecy or involvement so when i think of this the most immediate conspiracy that i can think of would be the epstein thing because ep because it sounds like a baseless conspiracy theory a ton of very wealthy and powerful people would fly over to an island controlled by an ultra wealthy like child sex trafficker and they would like fuck kids and like do business deals and that sounds like a very classic conspiracy theory except it's true and we know it's true and there's like no arguing around it really like that's very obviously right now so but people knew about epstein for a while but the total details on that maybe one of the reasons why more info hasn't been leaked is because all the people involved are either a ultra wealthy powerful people Uh who have strong systems for keeping secrets anyway because that's their job as business and political leaders or other people who might know like pilots bodyguards whatever else might find that their family and themselves commit suicide via two bullets to the back of the head if they say anything about it and they know that other people can monitor them so there's like a system to oversee that you know what i mean yeah and 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 here's the thing too it also gets into like what even counts as a secret it's super 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 complex i actually have a really good article of a friend of mine um m dentist who we'll get into in a second um who has actually written articles about like what constitutes as a secret within a conspiracy, because it's actually more complicated than a lot of people say. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why I opened with that article. The reason why I opened with the article is because there are two, and, and you already and you said there are conspiracies that are real, and the example that you pointed out was Epstein. And so um, 
So um, this is where academia has kind of gotten into a big debate in the past like two or so decades um, about conspiracy theories, mostly in the philosophy department, but but well-being, it's, it's been broader academia. And so effectively, what I just told you, the Grimes model, is what is known as generalism. Generalism is the idea that conspiracy theories are prima facie irrational, or to put it another way, they are irrational because they are conspiracy theories, and we ought to distrust them, or we ought to not take them seriously because they are conspiracy theories. Which is dumb, because we know yes. that a lot of conspiracies, a ton, a ton of shit leftists were saying back in the 60s, you know, just ended up being admitted by the government, like, in the 80s. Like, you know, yeah, like, the yeah, yeah. state was originally a leftist conspiracy theory. That was an original leftist conspiracy theory, right? There were other conspiracy theories that the right obviously, like, butchered, but, like, we, like the left has been pushing them and mostly has been correct, right? And so this is where we get into the, the part of conspiracy theory criticism that I engage in, which is known as particularism. Particularism is the idea that we shouldn't dismiss conspiracy theories outright. Instead, what we should do is we should evaluate each individual conspiracy theory on its own individual merits, based on its evidence, its arguments, its logic, and, and like whatever you know forms of evidence you want you want to go with right yeah like evaluating each individual conspiracy theory rather than trying to paint them all as a simple generalized class of explanation because the moment you start doing that it becomes really 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 epistemically problematic and on top of that and i can show you a bunch of sociological data on this it is often the term conspiracy theory has often been used as a way to delegitimize black people and other marginalized people from talking about their oppression. Look at Ben Shapiro, right? When Ben Shapiro um, gets into like a debate about systemic oppression, what does he always say? Oh, it's a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory, oh, theory conspiracy. yeah. Right. No, I, so, I, I think this is wait. a really good point. Uh, sorry, sorry for interjecting. No, just no, go ahead, go ahead, no, go ahead. I think this is a really good point because the term conspiracy theory colloquially is a distinctly negative one. If you say something yes. is a conspiracy theory, you're saying like, this is baseless conjecture, this is made up, like whatever, you know. But of course, first of all, criminal conspiracies do happen. Uh, all the coded in the law. Yeah, all the time. We made laws for it. We know that happens. And even outside the legal definition, the idea of like, people working towards their own interests kind of behind the scenes is literally how institutions work. Every time, like, when, when you know, like, uh, 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 Exxon and other oil companies, like, basically burned evidence that climate change was happening back in the 60s yes. and 70s, when, like, like governments, like, cover up their tracks after war crimes have taken place or after, like, civilians are killed or they muddy the waters on that, like, this isn't, like, it, not to speak of specifics, but like, not only is this not a conspiracy theory, this is just a thing that happens all the time, everywhere yes. on Earth. And and the, and the frustrating thing is that oftentimes, at least l until later evidence is revealed, there's no way to know whether or not it's real. But But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be able to talk about it if there are material incentives which make mm -hmm. it seem likely or which substantiate the possibility, you know, like you can't, if, if the, if the bar to discuss, to discussing like a possible bad thing 
is that you need to have empirical evidence that it's happening. Well, that's good in many cases, like if you're talking about immigrants causing harm or whatever, because we do have data on it. But if it's on mm -hmm. a subject we can't get empirical data on, like what institutions are planning or doing with information we have only scant access to, I think it's okay to engage in inference because the alternative is just allowing for just complete ambivalent ignorance, you know? Yeah. And so, and one of the, and one of the other problems too, is that a lot of generalists, and this is going to piss off a lot of generalists, because I, I will, I've have, I've told this to generalists' faces. Ah, uh, the really beef. Mad. Yeah. So, um, so ironically, if you, let's say if, if I were to talk to some imagined generalist, um, who thinks that all conspiracy theories are inherently like, you know, problematic or that they're suspect or whatever. By their own standard, they should have sided with Andrew Wakefield when he was being investigated by Brian Deere, because Brian Deere, by definition, would would qualify as a conspiracy theory theorist, right? You know, I think that what Andrew Wakefield is doing with this study is actually really sketchy. A lot of the things that he, that I've been seeing with some of the evidence is really, 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 really sketch, and I think there's something going on here that needs to be investigated. And then he starts revealing things like, oh, he's been discrediting the MMR vaccine, but He's currently trying to get a patent for his own competing vaccine. Give us that's really weird. Yeah, give us full context, totally for my oh. audience and not also for me. What is the what what are the alleged circumstances here? I think so this was covered in in H bomb's video on vaccines. Yes. So if yeah. you want, like, so here's like the 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 bullet points. Um. So um, Andrew Wakefield was basic was the guy who created the modern anti-vax mover. He was the one who claimed that there was an there was a link between autism and vaccine. The problem was that A, he made up his data. B, um, he literally tortured children during that study. B, he was trying to discredit MMR, the MMR vaccine while also trying to patent his own vaccine as a competing uh, uh, vaccine to make money. And Brian Deere found out through a law through um through a lawsuit that Andrew brought to him that not only was he doing all of that stuff Andrew Wakefield actually got paid by a lawyer hundreds of thousands of pounds to to make up a disease to link autism to vaccines for a couple of uh, of parents who wanted to sue the uh, MMR manufacturing yeah. companies so they paid a doctor to bullshit a study to make up data and um make up a disease to give the lawyer uh, uh evidence that he could use in court to win lawsuits it was literally a conspiracy right yeah um and so Brian Deere was the one who investigated it. So if we were to take the if we were to take the premise that all conspiracy theories are inherently irrational, then by generalists' own definitions, they should be siding with Andrew Wakefield. Brian Deere is a conspiracy theorist. He's irrational. Why is he investigating this? This is circular reasoning. Why are we doing this, right? But of course, that's nonsense. And of course, a lot of generalists get upset when you point this out, but this is following their own reasoning. And so this is where generalists often get their um um generalists will often get like the um, they they rely on what's known as the paranoid style which was written by and i know i'm gonna butcher his the pronunciation of his last name i never know i've never actually heard his last name pronounced richard hofstadter or hofstader i never know which way it's pronounced probably hofstader that sounds german hofstader and so he was the one who actually coined the paranoid style and a lot of generalists took him at face value let me read you literally on the first page. I call it the paranoid style simply because no other word adequately evokes the qualities of heated exaggeration, suspiciousness, and conspiratorial fantasy that I have in mind. In using the expression paranoid style, 
I am not speaking in a clinical sense, but borrowing a clinical term for other purposes. Even by his own, even by the guy who coined the term paranoid style, he's only using it because he literally lacks any other word to talk about it. And he even admits that he's borrowing it because he's not using it in a strictly clinical sense. But, pe but, but like pe uh, uh, social psychologists have often used the paranoid style at face value as if it were a clinical um, uh, treatment when Huff's Richard openly admitted that that's not what its purpose was. Um, so, so like a lot of people generalists took the paranoid style completely at face value, not realizing that's not what he was getting at. He was talking about a specific type of conspiratorial thinking at that time, the Red Scare. So, so, yeah, so let me, so let me take pause to this. So what you're talking about right now is the way in which research on conspiracy theories and skepticism towards conspiracy theories has been abused in, in almost a medicalized sense, uh, to, to, to extend beyond a, an attack on conspiracism and, and, and sort of as a silencing mechanism when, when politically convenient towards entities that are onto your shit, essentially. Exactly. So, so yes. yeah, right, right, right. Because like historically, for example, and I know this because I get called, I got called a conspiracy theorist for saying that, uh, that the, the rotating villain strategy of electoral politics is a real thing. The idea that yeah. like, yeah, the idea that like, politicians might like a lot of them might have an unpopular opinion but only two or three of them need to publicly express it in order for them to block like a given piece of legislation so yeah, why I'm why sure have all of them the cinema the the mansion shit like they might not be the only democrats um who disagree with the voting rights bill or whatever but they're doing it on behalf of other democrats yeah they, they could just be the ones who stand to be hurt the least by their open yes. dislike or they could just be the ones who care the least or they could be the ones who like there are a million possible explanations but the idea of let's have just a few people be unpopular because we don't need everyone to be unpopular like i was called a conspiracy theory for saying that might be an element at play here like that like that's ridiculous like that's just politics no. that just happen. that that's just a th that's not even a politics thing that just happens in day-to-day -day life where people take falls for other things just a kind of scapegoating applied to to political theory you know but the the tendency to accuse people of conspiracism uh, sometimes i think is abused by liberals and by technocrats people who are yes. really trusting of the institutions that we live in to, to as a just a blanket criticism to anyone who has suspicions about the intentions, motives, or actions of people with the power to, you know, act poorly and get away with it? Because you know they're 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 politicians. I mean, they're you yeah. know they're very powerful people. That's that's what they can exactly. do. Exactly. And so, like, and here's another quote from from Richard as well. And this is and so this to me is I think what dis this leads to a distinction between left wing and right wing conspiracy theorists. And he writes, the enemy seems to be on many accounts, a projection of the self, both the ideal and the unacceptable accepts of the self are attributed to him. It's projection, right? We talked about this all the time, about like how the right will often project things that they see in the oppressed group onto that, like project their own like failings onto my marginalized people, right? Mm -hmm. So like the Nazis will say, you know, the Jews control the banks, the Jews control the media, the Jews control uh, they want to destroy Western civilization and stop free speech. So how do we stop the Jews? We control the banks. We control the media. We destroy Western civilization and we and we uh, uh, stop freedom of speech. Right? Like they end up doing the things they accuse the Jews of doing because that's what right wing conspiracy theorists do. And 
I actually think um, the best way to differentiate between left-wing and right-wing conspiracy theorists theories is actually deceptively very simple. Left-wing conspiracy theorists actually believe in the conspiracy theories they, they purport to believe in. The right doesn't. They don't believe in their conspiracy theories. They believe in their conspiracy theories so long as they are useful to them at the moment. The moment they're no longer useful, they drop them like a hot iron, right? Like, this is this kind of gets into the most your more, most recent drama, right? About, you know, the Jews, you know, having a disproportionate amount of, you know, representation in banks, right? Yeah. As Zizek puts it, regard whether or not the Jews actually had a large like representation in the banks, it doesn't matter. The right will come up with an excuse no matter what like they'll come up with any excuse to justify it. Even if you debunk one thing, they'll just find something else, right? And I can get into like, you know, Lacanian psychoanalysis explaining about that, but that's not that I won't I won't do that because that's too much. So like basically, like the right doesn't believe in their own conspiracy theories. They only believe in them because they're politically like useful to them. I mean, look at QAnon, right? Like, like when you look at when when you follow like the Q lore, there's nothing stable about what's happening in the Q lore. The QAnon narrative is changing all, like, the QAnon narrative is probably changed 10 times by the time I finished this sentence, because they don't believe in their own narrative. That I, I actually had that revelation watching your stream when you were going over uh, that Charlie Kirk debate with that, with that liberal um, comedian about abortion. Remember when, when, when the guy said, like, hey, uh, it's really weird that you keep saying that abortion is like murder and close to the Holocaust, but you've said on Twitter and in public that you're still friends with women who've had abortions. How yeah, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. How, yeah, yeah. How it's, do you it, navigate this? I, I think, th yeah, this is something I've noticed as well, you know, it's, and I said this, like, if, if, if there, if there was no Jew, like, the Nazis would have to create one, and they basically yes. did, too, because the, the, there is basically no relationship between actual Jewish people and, like, the shit Nazis think Jewish people are, so they're two yes. very different entities. It feels like, with with a lot of the left leaning stuff, you know, the conspiracism is 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 part of a broader ethical framework that describes the obstacles which are present between us and a desired political system. Whereas for the right, the conspiracies are the point of their political system. QAnon people do not talk about the world they want after the storm. Nazis don't talk about the world they want, uh, you know, after the race war. They talk about the storm. They talk about yes. the race war. For their ideologies, it isn't about the world they want to build with the conspiracism describing the obstacles in their way. It's about the conspiracism. You know, yes. the, the left politically could exist perfectly well without, without any like fundamental, it, it could exist without obstacles in its way. The left could continue to exist even if there was no bourgeois, you know, in a market yes. social society, or if you had like class equity or whatever, the ideology that sustains the left could continue to perpetuate itself. But the right, at least like, let's just say Nazism, cannot exist without the Jewish threat. It can't, it's, it's it existentially can't. It's possible. unsustainable. 
without that external threat to legitimize. And if, and if the Nazis had won and the Third Reich had swept the world and they had deterministically killed every single person of ethnically or religiously Jewish origin, they would start finding new groups. They would start exactly. saying that certain types of skin color or either whatever is also a sign of Jewish like corruption. They, would, they wouldn't stop. They can't stop. Because you, because you're Polish, right? You would be next, and I'm Italian, so and I would probably be the next on the chopping block too. Right? They, they could not stop. A, the the can, left they, can imagine a world without the bourgeois. The right cannot imagine the world without. By right, I keep saying like the Nazis here, but I feel like they're the most descriptive like example here. They can't exist without even, the Jew. But even but even if even like your your run of the mill like conservative still does this right. Even if the most moderate conservative, what do they talk about? You know, you know, uh, 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 critical race theory, or they'll talk about uh, what? Oh, oh, like oh, per like the fuck the culture war stuff, right? Like you don't even you don't even need to focus on a particular one. How long was the Mister Potato Head shit like? You know, um, a, like how long did that last? Yeah, that like, was a two fun weeks? two weeks. I remember. Yeah, yeah. two weeks at mo oh. Another example of Charlie Kirk, your conversation with Charlie Kirk on Tim Pool, right? When you, because he knew that you were going to call him out for not knowing what critical race theory was. And what did he do? Oh, okay, we're not really talking about critical race theory. We're talking about wokeism. So, like, part of, and I, I will try to make this as readable as humanly possible using, like, Lacan, Lacan what, what Lacan meant. So, like, so Lacan has this thing called the object petit a. And basically what this means is it's the object cause of desire. It is the thing that is the cause of your desire. But the thing is, is that the object petit a is always morphing. It's constantly shifting from one thing to the other. And it's shifting around this kind of what Lacan would call a void. Mm -hmm. um, it's like this thing that like... Um, like imagine like you're looking at the void straight on when you look at it straight on it's just the void but the moment you look at it from a slant you see something and that's what each culture war talking point is to the right it's crt it's you know mr potato head it's dr seuss it's whatever whatever it is that day right the it's the object petite ah it is a fantasy it is a lacanian fantasy to cover up the contradictions of the of the current system. Right? Whereas, so when the, or, or I just want to add because whereas yeah. left conspiracism, even some of the wackier shit. I mean, there is real conspiracy shit on the left, like from like the tanky yes. types or whatever. And well, yeah, I, yeah. I barely think they're even like left. But when I talk about yeah, left, I, I guess I'm referring to myself and my tendencies, I guess. But when when you when you have stuff on this side of the aisle, you know, it's very consistent. You know, a hundred years ago, it was the goddamn bourgeois, it was the goddamn cops, it was the goddamn statists. And now, a hundred years later, it's the goddamn bourgeois, the goddamn cops, and the goddamn yep. statists. We're very consistent yeah. there. But for the right, it's like this infinitely ever-shifting miasma of external threats that, you know, sometimes Russia's your enemy, sometimes it's your ally. Sometimes China's based because they're homophobic, sometimes they're not based because they compete with our manufacturing. You know, so, like, sometimes schooling is based because this, it's not, it's just a constant war against a, an, uh, uh, what would you call it, a, a a fungible collection of cultural issues is that they can be swapped out effortlessly without any change yeah. to the pace of the discussion.
they're looking at the void and constantly looking at it from a different slant when depending on whether or not it's useful for them the moment mr potato head's no longer useful they immediately they immediately like tilt their head in a different direction and they find something else right and so what a really good way of kind of looking at this and i i actually i should probably also clarify like what i do right because i i, I am not this, you know, the monolithic voice of like all conspiracy theory researchers. Um, so I am a communication studies scholar um, and I study rhetoric and rhetorical theory. I know, right? It, 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 it's almost poetic, right? I wonder where I got my name. And so um, I, so what I do is I study like, um, like persuasive messages and um, I try to kind of illustrate like how certain texts kind of construct their own like persuasive systems so like right now for instance um or i could just use my publication right so in my publication i talk about a very particular type of um denialism so the denial of the holocaust denial of climate change the denial of the 2020 presidential election results right what i found was that all of these different denialist movements all relied effectively on the same message just slightly different right they're relying on a very similar rhetorical system of how they start from step one to step two into step three. And if you would like to know more in detail, you can read my article. But <laughs> nice uh, plug. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, real smooth there, right? So, um, so like, what I so what I do is I kind of showcase like how these texts kind of um, circulate persuasive messaging and how per persuasive messaging exists beyond the text. So like right now, I'm actually writing an article about the rhetoric of QAnon and how QAnon actually showcases a parallel between, and you'll probably really appreciate this, um, the rhetoric of conspiracy theories and the rhetoric of the modern occult. So and if, if anyone is really interested in what, the, uh, of what modern occult rhetoric is like, I would highly recommend reading Joshua Gunn's book, Modern Occult Rhetoric, Mass Media and the Drama of Secrecy in the 20th Century. It's a very good read. Um, and so like, so like, so I'm not like, um, so I'm not like, you know, I'm not a philosopher, um, much compared to a lot of my other contemporaries who are more, um, you know, in the philosophy field, I'm rhetoric, right? I study mm -hmm. persuasive messaging. And so I don't want anyone to get the idea of thinking that like, I'm like some, like, you know, some, you know, obviously some like authority end all be all right. Um, I'm just one specific field that like studies all this. But there are plenty of researchers and philosophers who, who kind of dig into, like, the logic behind the legitimacy and the reasonability of conspiracy theories. Here's a really good problem with how uh, pathologizing conspiracy theories leads to fucked arguments. So uh, the famous philosopher Karl Popper and, um, and if anyone is from Finland um, who gets mad at this pronunciation, I'm from Florida, I don't care, fuck you. But uh, the guy named Rua Rika, um, he, uh, both of these philosophers have argued um, that, um, that, the, that the Holocaust does not qualify as a genuine conspiracy. Because for Rika, he argued that the Holocaust didn't qualify as a conspiracy because it was, and I, I, I swear to God, this is an actual quote from his article, it was generally known what was happening. That was his justification for saying that the Holocaust wasn't a genuine conspiracy against Jewish people. And Karl Popper said that the Holocaust wasn't a conspiracy against Jewish people because 
it didn't actually kill every single Jewish person in the world. Alright. Like, okay, that that guy secretly wishes the, the Holocaust had killed every Jewish person. That's that's that person's salty, okay? That's what they like, are. Like the, like what the fuck? The the Holocaust was I'm pretty sure that like not only did Hitler not ever give an official order, but I'm pretty sure some effort was made to like keep the official deets away from the population. I think it was one of those like open secrets kind of like yeah, I, like if where, you where read, the population like, like, knew, but they didn't know how much. I mean, because like I'm pretty sure like Americans when we when we moved into Berlin, like we we knew we knew something was happening. Like we knew they had camps and everything, but we didn't know the extent. Like I think that I'm pretty sure we were shocked when we actually encountered. You know, like Auschwitz and stuff. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even, even, even if it was generally known. It doesn't matter. Watergate doesn't magically no longer become a conspiracy because we know it happened. It's still a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Because this kind of gets into the circular logic a lot of generalists engage in. Um, um, when uh, a, a lot, a lot, it's the circular logic of like, okay, so all conspiracy theories are inherently um, irrational. They're all, you know, not reasonable or whatever. Well, then that begs the question, okay, what about conspiracy theories that actually ended up being correct? Oh, well, those aren't real conspiracies. Uh, it's like okay, no then... true Scotsman shit. It's like, oh, well, conspiracy theories can't ever be correct because anything that turned out to be correct must not have been a conspiracy theory. It was actually just... And, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's relying on an unreasonably, unrealistic understanding of secrecy, right? This idea of perfect secrecy, that's, that's bullshit, right? Um, and so, like, what the and so what a lot of philosophers like M. Dentith, Charles Pidgeton, what a lot of these people have argued is that a lot of philosophers will often use um, uh, the um, uh, the that pure secrecy, like impossible standard. The all it is it it purely exists as a way to always categorize conspiracy theorists or theorizing as inherently irrational, like. Um, so yeah, like we like so like they're like that's the one of the main problems with like the idea of always treating conspiracy theories as inherently irrational is that you actually either a end up agreeing with the conspiracy theorists inadvertently you or you actually end up giving credence to real conspiracies and not realize it or you say dumb shit like the Holocaust wasn't actually a genuine conspiracy theory because oh oops it didn't kill all the Jews in the world right so. Um, so this is why, like, because and the thing is, I've watched a lot of your. I, I, I mean, I've been watching you basically since the beginning, right? I see I, you I, in I, chat pretty often, yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm there every once in a while, right? Um, and so, um, and so, I've seen you like crit critique like conspiracy theories, and what's and I think what you do is a really good job because you've already been kind of saying this. But not in the language that I'm obviously like I'm saying right now, right? Like, I, no, in a, in an intuitive sense, yeah. I yeah. think because the problem is like conspiracy theories are common and they are frustrating and they are all over the place and they <clears> need to be fought against. But there, there, it seems to be like this constant war between people who have absolutely no gatekeep for what is or isn't true and will just believe anything that's convenient to them. And then on the other side, you have these hyper institutionalist, mostly liberals who are so like slavishly dedicated to the idea that the system works that any suggestion that it doesn't is met with like it, like nothing short of like signed admissions of bad behavior from powerful people are enough for them you could go like hey do you think maybe like the people like people in the 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 
gas and oil industry and, and coal industry might like, you know, influence politicians by leveraging the fact that they could single-handedly shut down the economy if they chose to. And they're like, no, what? You you think powerful people talk to each other? Yeah. It sounds pretty yeah. conspiratorial. Like, it's, yeah. And it's like, well, well, come on, man. Like, like the, <laughs> you know what happened in the past. Why can't it happen yeah. now? Yeah. And, and here's the other thing, too. Not all conspiracies are necessarily sinister. So this kind of gets into like the question, okay, then what is a conspiracy theory? It is simply an explanation of an event that, in, that asserts a conspiracy as the main cause for the event. That's pretty broad. So then that kind of begs the question, then what is a conspiracy? Well, a conspiracy is simply when a group of people decide to act in secret or they try to maintain secretive actions to achieve a goal. This is what uh, the three conditions, the first condition being the conspirators condition. There has to be a group of people. The second condition, there has to be, um, uh, you know, they have to, there has to be an attempt to keep, uh, keep things secret. Notice the word attempt. That's actually very important. Attempt mm -hmm. and succeeding are two different things. Um, and the goal condition, they have to reach some goal. Do you know what would also, you know what would qualify as a conspiracy under this definition? Surprise birthday parties. That is like, true. Surprise birthday parties. If only they could all be that nice, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we've all like I, I say we. Well, I don't want to say like no, for everyone. Well, right. But like, you could the us, the Underground Railroad w was yeah. was a conspiracy. The um uh all of the businesses in Nazi Germany that that funneled Jewish people out um uh went, went, but like when they got the chance to the people who uh like would have held. Anne Frank or like anyone else would have tried to yeah. save them. Like those were all literally like by definition conspiracy theories. Yeah, they were all a group of people working in secret to achieve a goal to keep a Jewish family from being killed in the Holocaust. I think that's pretty based in you know epic and red pilled. Uh, red red pilled. Yeah, right. <laughs> pretty good. Right? It's pretty 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 cool. Right. Pretty pretty poggers. I would say. Right. Um. So so yeah. So like not all conspiracies are necessarily nefarious. And, and a lot of people, like, whenever they hear that, there's always, like, especially from, like, liberals, they have, like, this tendency of, like, kind of scoffing at the idea of even considering surprise birthday parties as, like, inherently problematic or, or, or not, not as a real conspiracy because it's not the Jewish question. It's not Holocaust denialism. Well, why, does, why do conspiracies necessarily have to be always something like the Jewish question? Well, it doesn't have to. It doesn't always have to be. It's it, and this is why we should always look at each individual conspiracy theory on its own merits. And, and keep in mind, a lot of people get this like when they hear this, they think, "Oh, well, you you think that all conspiracies are necessary, or conspiracy theories are, in, are inherently rational." <laughs> and it's like, no, I think only some of them are rational, not all of them. That's what like particularism is actually the best method of debunking conspiracy theories that are bullshit like the Jewish question, like, you know, Holocaust denialism, because it forces you to engage with the conspiracy theory rather than just scoff at it. And, and this is why, like, I was able to point out, it, I, well, as why I point out in my work about the distinctions between left-wing and right-wing conspiracy th theorists, because when you actually engage with the conspiracy theory, what you end up doing is you actually see the structures that keep the conspiracy theory afloat. There was a there was a really, really good line in Folding Ideas video about Flat Earth, where mm -hmm. he gets to like the basic, like 
premises of Flat Earth. And then he says, this, and he gets to a certain point, he says, Holding Ideas video on Flat Earth, by the way, is spectacular. And anyone watching right now should. so much. It is incredibly good. It's, it's like a, it's, I I think like it's, it's worthy of academic like consideration. Well, the, 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 my published article specifically cites his article, his, his video. It is a great, great video. But like in his, in his, um, in that, at a certain point, he says, this is where the profiling of Flat Earth typically stops. And I forgot what contradiction he, like he pointed out some, something silly that Flat Earthers typically say. But the thing is, is what he gets it to and what I get to with my work, right, is that a lot of mostly liberals get this bad idea of stopping, stop to profile certain conspiracy theories at a certain point. Like, for instance, when you talk with a Holocaust denier, what do they always say the holocaust didn't happen but the jews actually deserved auschwitz they say both of these things all of the time Mm -hmm. now people will be like oh that's contradictory ha 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 they have what some philosophers have have said have crippled epistemology but what they're missing is that no they don't have crippled epistemology they're lying and they know they're lying they're lying because what they're because what they actually want to say is I want to do another Holocaust, but I know I can't say that. This is also, and I'm, and I, if I'm kind of like rambling on sources, apologies. I'm, mm-hmm. I have a comprehensive exam about conspiracies on Friday, so this is actually really good practice for me. But, um, but basically, um, another like sociologist named Keith Con Harris um, wrote. Uh, he says like one of the main characteristics of denialism is what he calls the gap, that which you can say um publicly and your dark desires because i'm sure all of us have like something we would like to do but we know we can't because it's not socially acceptable right and what denialism does is it allows you to advocate for the thing without explicitly saying it right nazis want to yeah yeah the the, it seems like the point of a lot of these conspiracy theories is to posit a world not in which so rather than saying you want a thing you posit a world where the thing you want is a thing everyone else would have to want as well. Like like with the Jewish question stuff, you know? Like, a lot of these people are just really anti-Semitic, you know? But you can't justify anti-Semitism at the face of it. You have to com- create a narrative which would justify it. And, like, it's it's like this with a ton of things. Why are, like, why do people believe um, that, like, immigrants steal jobs and lower domestic wages. Well, a lot of them just don't like immigrants for, like, nativist or xenophobic reasons, right? Like, why yeah. do people believe this about crime or about race? Well, they don't like black people, but if you just run around saying, I don't like black people, we should be racist, that's not as compelling as constructing a narrative in which, uh, you know, you have to create an argument for your bias, and the easiest way to do that, if there's no evidence in favor of your bias, is conspiracism. Yeah, exactly. And so, and and that's why, like, so, like, when you, so whenever you get into, like, a debate with, like, let's say Nick Fuentes decides to come up, right? Let's say he finally grows the pair, and he finally sends you that email, and you finally debate him, right? And let's say he actually debate, de- uh, uh, you actually debate him, right? Or someone like him, right? Um, if, um, uh, the best language to do is to not say, oh, that's, that point's stupid because that's just you're just positing a conspiracy theory. What you should say is you're positing an unwarranted conspiracy theory. The the conspiracy theory that you're putting forward is not warranted. There's no evidence to back it up, right? Because by just because by just saying 
you know, oh, that's irrational because it's a conspiracy theory, they can just turn around and say the same thing about you, right? If you start talking about systemic racism or, you know, you know, anti-Semitic policies or whatnot, the moment you start engaging in any type of speculation or even factual evidence about the oppression of certain marginalized communities, they can just turn around and be like, okay, you're a conspiracy theorist. So don't say like, oh, well, that's irrational because it's a conspiracy theory. Because what you're doing is you're falling, because what you end up running into is you actually end up becoming, you know, a victim of your own bullet, right? Because then they can just flip around and turn it against you. Because yeah, then the moment... Oh, yeah. sorry, no, continue. No, go ahead, go ahead. Well, yeah, well, especially since outright denialism also gives them a lot of rhetorical fuel, because it comes across as very um, ambivalent, which uh, sort of re reaffirms one of the central tenets of any conspiratorial worldview, which is that the sheeple won't like wake up and see the truth. An inability to engage with the details of their conspiracy only makes you look like you're not even intellectually capable of entertaining the worldview they have. Whereas being able to like sit down and go, all right, motherfucker, I know why you think this. And then like engage with everything they have, even the points in favor of what they have to say, you know? Um, I think that makes you look a lot stronger because the easiest, yep. and this is what came up with the goddamn anti-Semitism shit, is that it nothing makes Nazis feel more confident in their worldview than trying to debunk the Jewish question by saying, oh yeah, there was never any like overrepresentation of Jews in banking because yep. they know that's wrong and you never want to give them something right like why would you do that like they're, they're wrong why would you ever put them in a situation where they're right you need to acknowledge and even if they are right they're still morally reprehensible yeah well of course of course but like t like break them down comprehensively don't give them anything the easiest yeah. way to take apart an argument is to acknowledge the points they have and then to show them that that's worth nothing but ash you know if yeah. you have if you're talking with a person who has an argument in favor of something don't ignore the points in their favor address it and then break those points so they have nothing because that way they yes. can't even respond with them if all you do is dismiss the theory then they get to go like okay you dismiss it in spite of and then they list off their disproportionate demographics and then they, and then they fucking machine gun you a bunch of points a right? trillion uh, yeah their stormfront copy paste list or whatever but if you open with like all right motherfucker i've read your lists let me explain to you why it doesn't support your point run through it at like every point they have and when you're done with that and then you prose your argument what are they going to say all they have, the only thing they have, is to pretend you didn't mention it. And to go back yes. and say, uh, well, they were disproportionately represented. And then you get to be like, that dipshit, I mentioned that. Like, what, you, hey, yeah. you get to make fun of them. And, that, and they will never recover from that. And I have talked to many people, and they have never recovered from that. And like, and the other thing, to, and the other thing too is like, like I'll, I'll give like a good example. So I was like, um, a really good. So th I guess this wouldn't technically qualify as a conspiracy theory, but I, I think it's close enough. So I was actually at Disney World with my family and my brother's girlfriend's family. Um, they were they went with us, and her family is like super super far right. Um, and we're at Disney, and I don't remember what the conversation was. I just remember, long story short, we were at we were at um uh downtown disney or disney springs and um uh my brother's girlfriend's dad um said like oh like i don't like the disney company i think like they're too liberal i'm more of like a libertarian and i knew exactly what he was actually saying mm -hmm. what he's what he what he actually was saying because he said like they donate too much money to certain organizations i don't agree with and of course what he actually is trying to say is like, I don't like that they donate to LGBTQ, like, organizations. That's what he he's actually saying. 
Because if he was a real libertarian, why the fuck would he care about what organizations they donate their money to? Isn't the whole point of libertarianism the idea of individual liberty, right? Why the fuck would you care? So what I did was I asked him, I asked him that question and he goes, okay, well, I just, I think that, you know, basically said the homophobic thing. I think like, you know, gays are like, you know, destroying America or right, whatever. Right. And, and I was, and I was like, well, if, again, if you're a libertarian, like, do you, um, don't you think that like, they should have a right to do that because it's their individual liberty. And he goes, well, no, not really. And I basically go, oh, so you're just a traditional conservative who wants to more like legalize your morality on everyone. And he goes, I guess so. And I was like, well, why didn't you just fucking say that? Why didn't you just say that in the first place? Right? That's the best way to, that's another really good way of calling out conspiracy theories is by getting them to their actual point before they even had a chance to even mention their conspiracy theory, because what you did is once you point that, that actual, like, um, that actual, what they actually want, then they have, they've had, they have no steam. And, and the, all of a sudden the conspiracy the cons also then immediately seems to be like a post hoc justification. You know, if you, yes. it's, it, it, it's, this is, this is, this is half like logical and half rhetorical, but generally you wanted to go premacy, premacy, premacy point, you know, like anytime you're constructing an argument or backing it up, mm -hmm. but this is doubly the case, uh, triply, quadruply the case, the more conspiratorial, outlandish, or optically unfavorable the point is, because you need to cushion it more beforehand. So getting them to just drop that early, and then they're like, uh, uh, okay, okay, sure, like, all right, okay, maybe the Holocaust should have happened, okay, but like, here, all right, listen, okay, and then they, ha then they have to do, like, the 30-minute thing, like, the well is immediately poisoned. But it wasn't poisoned yeah. because of bad faith on your part, it was poisoned because they are poisoned, and they fell in the well because they're stupid, which is yeah, perfectly fine. They fell on the well before the conversation even began because because like you already like I know what you're going to say and I know I, I know the conspiracy theory you're about to about to say and I know what you actually want because if you say this what you really mean is this and then you know you go like <laughs> this this might be a little relevant you got to uh, engage in the Socratic method a little bit um, by just asking that a couple of basic questions i love right? the socratic method that shit gets yeah. me in so much trouble if you <laughs> yeah. especially because like it's a really good way of testing the premises like the logic behind a thing you know if you like socratic method the idea that like business moguls collaborate to establish favorable market conditions by influencing politicians like well why would they do that because it's to their monetary interest. Oh, well, how they do that? Because they have constant, easy access to politicians through channels that are publicly available, but we know they use and we frequently see them together. Oh, you know, but then Socratic method, like the Jewish question, you know, it's like, uh, okay, well, like, they all like get along and like we don't know how they communicate with each other or what channels they have or okay yeah we know that every single institution we say is jewish controlled also has non-jews in it and there's also a lot of transparency we've never found any evidence of anything happened but uh you know and you can like run them through it for like a million years yeah. but inevitably they always stumble because they never think through these things very long it's never that yeah. hard to pull them through the you know through the bramble patch until till they fall off the back of the truck it's 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 it, it, but you have to be willing to engage with what they're saying you can't just dismiss it right off the bat yeah, because and, and that and that's why like like um and that's why like a well a lot of li and, and it's mostly liberals conservatives I think do this to a certain like even like when you talk to QAnon people like they don't like they they don't even like the term conspiracy theory because they think it's a tainted word but like it's mostly liberals who kind of engage in this type of um behavior yeah. because institutionalists because, anyone with faith right. in the system remember your video when you went over um what's that guy's name I'm really important is that his name. Really important.
Yeah, oh yes, 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 he did do that yeah. quite a bit, yes. And I love I'm really important. He covers I like politics. I think he, he's super nice. Yeah. But and he smart. yeah. He, he but he he does yes that that was the thing he did in that video at least where like were were a, a sort of yeah a a, a a a willingness to jump to accusations of conspiracism, right? And and because like because he even specifically said like multiple times if you don't trust the institutions what else are you going to trust? Well, that depends on the situation. What specifically what specific institutions are we talking about? Like hell, like even talking about grand conspiracies. Theorizing about grand conspiracies isn't even necessarily inherently irrational. I mean, I would qualify the Holocaust as a, as a grand conspiracy, right? A group of very powerful, like, Nazi officials decide after the success, the initial successful invasion of the, um, uh, of the Soviet Union um, that, hey, like, we're just going to, you know, kill all the Jews in, in, in Europe, right? We're, that's, just, that's just all we're going to do, right? Um, uh, like to me, that would qualify as a, as a, not just a conspiracy, but as a grand conspiracy that led to literally the attempt to annihilate the entire world of Jews, right? So there's nothing inherently wrong to even talk about grand conspiracies or some like global conspiracy. Obviously there's going to be different differences, right? Like there are going to be differences in terms of like what specifically you're theorizing about and what specifically you're, um, the content of that, uh, of that conspiracy. So like um, there's there's like a bunch of like philosophers talked about like um, different types of hypotheses. There's like the independent hypotheses. How how well does I, I might be getting these all mixed up and I have to look back at the sources. But we can like when we look at like different types of hypotheses and how they um and like how they kind of like to help us like navigate when it's best to infer a conspiracy, right? So yeah. like uh, uh I got I don't I'm not gonna look through the books, but long story short. There are different hypotheses that allow you to kind of like engage like a probability. Like, for instance, like, do you think if you lived in Russia today, do you think there's a high likelihood that like the government that that like is probably engaging in some type of conspiracy like right now? Right now? I don't right think there's now. a government on Earth that's not engaging in some kind of conspiracy right now. But, but, but there's always like, like um, what I mean is like some governments engage in more than others, right? I would say the Russian government is rife with like a massive oh, oh, amount they, of they, pro they probably have like 1,700 current like, you know, yeah. e-electronic warfare, like cyber hacking, you know, foreign interference scandals go, yeah, or not scandals, sorry, yeah. but like bits going on. Yeah, probably, probably. And so because if you were to live in a country that is known for engaging in real conspiracies, it probably wouldn't take that much evidence to determine whether or not a conspiracy is a, is a good inference for, or a good explanation for an event. But if you live in like a place where conspiracy, like, it's kind of like, imagine if you lived in a, in, um, uh, and we're getting into hypotheticals, maybe I'm an, an idealist, huh? but, um, True. but, Imagine if we like um, lived in a world where um, like 99% of, of spouses or, or romantic partners cheated on their, on, on their partners. It probably wouldn't take that much evidence for you to determine whether or not your partner was cheating on you. Because if 99% of partners were cheating on you, then like it, 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 it just, it, the, the probability is, oh, yeah. is pretty high. Precedent right? should factor in. If, if, if you can only infer, if you only have, if there's no way of determining concrete evidence for a lot of things, you can use like past experience to determine the likelihood of that thing happening generally. So like, for example, the idea that like the FBI 
would be involved in like cracking down on internal civil rights movements. You know, that's something you can substantiate historically. The yes. idea that the CIA would be involved in like regime change stuff abroad. That is something that you can substantiate historically. It doesn't mean that everything that ever happens is because of them, but it does mean, if nothing else, that, you know, it's it's okay to cock an eyebrow at them when something like that takes place. Um, and, and so many of, like, the conspiracies that I get accused of supporting myself are, like, they're, they're like, the most... They're, they're things that happen, like, all the time forever, right? Like, the idea of, like, business moguls collaborating or politicians doing fucked stuff behind the scenes to benefit, like, corporate interests. Yeah, that, like, exactly. The, oh, that's, like, that's not just, like, American history. That's, like, the history of the existence of government. And then you have yeah. something like the Jewish question, which is, like, yeah, there's a global conspiracy of which we have essentially no evidence besides the very existence of Jewish people. And, like, also, I guess some of them are Hollywood producers. And then yes. you look back at history... And there is no history whatsoever of any such conspiracy in existence at all. There are, there's a history of people accusing Jews of, yes. of secretly controlling the world, but not of them actually having been found out for doing it. So, you know, if anything, that, that lends additional credence to the whole boy who cried wolf situation with anti-Semites. You know, like, well, you keep saying there's a Jewish conspiracy and it keeps not happening. So, yes. And, 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 like, uh, another thing, too, is to kind of, like, and what's really frustrating is, like, when people, um, when, when, I, I keep saying liberals, because, like, those are the people who t typically engage in this type of behavior. When liberals tend to, like, engage in this type of behavior, what ends up happening is, like, it, the term conspiracy theory becomes so, like, cucked that, like, there's no, there's no conversation that could ever be brought about by engaging in some type of investigation, right? And, like, you know, God, like, can you imagine what a world we would live in if, like, you know, if the Nixon administration was able to get away with its shit by, like, continuing Ugh. to call, like, Bernstein um, uh, um, a fucking conspiracy theorist? Because that's what he did. The Nixon administration was consistently trying to discredit the Washington Post and Bernstein, um, and um, I always forget the other Yeah, they tried now. to push it off as best as they could. Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory. Can you imagine what would happen if, if, if that, if like, if they were able to like ward off the investigation or delegitimize it through just calling it a conspiracy theory? Like, we would never know about Watergate. We would never know about that, right? And so, what, like, and this is where like I think socialists are are really well positioned to like take advantage of the term conspiracy theory. And like try to destigmatize it in particular ways, not in every way, but in a particular ways to kind of illustrate how a lot of our institutions are really conspiratorial. I know, like for instance, like when when the when George Floyd um, and the BLM uh, protests were really big uh, about a year or two ago, that like um, the the word systemic racism started to become really popular, right? Mm -hmm. Because this was basically a really good way of alleviating a lot of conservative like like fears of like, oh, well, you're just calling me a racist. Well, no, not necessarily. Like we're talking about a system, a system. It's in and of its the system that that constructs our you know our country is based on some premise of racism, right? But, like, at the same time, though, there is some conspiratorial elements to even systemic racism, right? We can go back to, like, how the how the Republican Party literally, you know, 
passing so, like you know yeah the, they, the lee atwater shit those those yeah. revealed later yeah or or like redlining because redlining yes. stopped being legal back like you know fucking a million years ago or whatever but like the housing patterns are still the same, you know? Back then, legally, like, a banker could just tell a black couple to fuck off if they wanted, like, a loan for a house. But now... Yes. Well, now they can still tell them to fuck off, actually. Nothing has oh, changed. They just ways. they just can't say, oh, yeah, it's because you're black. <laughs> they just, you know, yeah. they, they have to engage in the uh, bare minimum of restraint. But, but besides that, you know, the underlying mechanisms of redlining are still... Uh, 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 like fundamentally capable of being replicated and they have been because redlining is still present just not legally yeah. same with the legal structure legally there is absolutely legally race doesn't exist frankly um it, whether yeah. you're white or black like the courts are utterly indifferent practically that is obviously not the case and that is you know sometimes it's implicit bias or whatever but also with stuff like you know you can't really prove this any individual case, but is it really that unlikely that a bunch of these dinosaur judges might be like a little bit racist? And we yeah, know we it's... know judges work with you know district attorneys and prosecutors. We know, like we know that that's not a conspiracy, you know. And you know we know that a lot of cops tend to be fairly readily like I, like and, and and can you prove this for an individual? Often no. But it, does this add up when you're looking at like how these systems function and what the implications of these types of contacts and biases might be? Undeniably, and I think it's delusional to say otherwise. But I am asserting essentially conspiracy. Yeah, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like, in fact, I would argue that it is a good thing that we engage in conspiracy theories when it's useful because it allows us to critique institutions in a way that might hide information from us, right? You can take this from a deontological or, 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 or a uh, 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 consequentialist. I, I, I think you could justify it either way, right? But like conspiracy theories is not inherently a bad thing or even pathological. And the idea that we have to constantly pathologize the act of conspiracy theorizing it, it 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 leads into really bad critiques of the system because what ends because what ends up happening is that the left has to constantly um like you know play like cleanup up um play cleanup with like its rhetoric right like oh we're not saying there's a conspiracy against black people we're just saying that the system itself was designed specifically to oppress black people like I don't know in some ways I certain it, it I don't think it's much of a leap to say that in certain contexts you could call certain aspects of that conspiratorial right I would cons I would say that that's like a reasonable thing right and by by allowing the term conspiracy theory to remain a dirty word the right can allow can, basically can dominate the conversation about systemic oppression because they can constantly delegitimize any actual concerns by just saying oh that's a conspiracy or oh that's a conspiracy theory and so the left is constantly being cucked because we can't talk about real conspiracy theories against marginalized people without constantly being without constantly looking like we're irrational because you know fucking ben shapiro comes in and just goes hmm, hmm, hmm. systemic racism that sounds like a conspiracy theory <laughs> like facts don't care about your feelings right yeah so um racism is illegal uh th thank you <laughs> yeah 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 uh, right. uh Nowhere in police training do they say to be racist. Thank you. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. No, no, I, I completely agree. It's it, the the opposition to conspiracy theory as a category is destructive 
and easily exploited both by people who themselves promote conspiracy theories because a, a broad dismissal only empowers their theories. It makes us look like we're incapable of engaging with it. And it bolsters people who don't engage in conspiracism, but do ignore obvious inferential evidence uh, if it suits them, like people who argue that systemic racism doesn't exist because we don't have a law called to be systemically racist. Um, it, whereas the, the, particularism, the uh, particularism that you described, uh, assessing things by their individual merit, their worth, um, gives us the ability to uh, work out what's virtuous and not, what's worth discussing and not, and allows us to more effectively debunk the things uh, that we think are without merit. Yeah. And, and, to, and again, to be clear, like, as I said, particularism is not the idea that we um, should take every conspiracy theory at face value, that all conspiracy theories are inherently good. That's not what particularism means. In fact, that would be known as anti-generalism. So you have generalism, which is the idea that all conspiracy theories are inherently irrational, and anti-generalism, which is that all conspiracy all conspiracy theories are inherently rational and, and good. Particularism is neither of these things. It's in the middle, right? <laughs> I, you, you could say that I'm sitting on the fence with this one. As the but, enlightened um, centrist approach. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the enlightened, I'm the enlightened centrist. Chat, go, I hope you enjoy that. Clip, clip and shit, boys. That's why I'm not a streamer. So, um, uh, so yeah, so like when we look at, um, uh, so like particularism, it, it not, o not only does it allow us to destigmatize de the idea of, um, of conspiracy theories as a broad generalized class, it actually allows us to critique the system in a way that I think leftists are too terrified of advocating for. So like, um, fucking, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Hassan even like talked about this during his more, one of his more recent videos about, um, the Jeffrey Epstein, uh, case. Cause he, cause he thinks that Jeffrey Epstein was, um, murdered, not that he committed suicide and went through a whole thing. And he said that a lot of people are afraid of being labeled as a conspiracy theorist. And I actually have it, have a, have a book chapter um, written by Lee Basham, and funny enough, by that Finnish philosopher who said that the Holocaust wasn't originally a conspiracy, was, it wasn't a genuine conspiracy. They both wrote a book chapter together where they argue um, that a lot of people engage in conspiracy theory phobia, where people are legitimately terrified of being labeled as a conspiracy theorist because they know that once you get labeled as one, that that's it. Like no one ever takes you seriously. Like you're put in a box and everyone just kind of like dismisses you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I, I, that's why like I wanted to talk with you like, like this whole conversation about like, cause I think you've already been kind of doing this in a way. Um, but I wanted to like give you like all of like the rhetorical philosophical, like concepts that some like more recent scholarship about conspiracy theories have often engaged in, in a way that I think is more nuanced and more, um, um, like allows the left to better critique the system in a way that I think that the left is too terrified of engaging with. I completely agree. And this seems extremely prescient given the, uh, the recent context, uh, of my stream and what's going on in it. So it seems, uh, it, it took a while for us to have a conversation, but it seems almost fitting that this would be the time we would actually have it. Yeah. And, and like, and that's, and I would argue that, that, you know, non-compete and, and, you know, the others, um, uh, they, um, I would the argue others. that they are engaging the, the others, they, they know who they are, <laughs> but like, um, uh, they are engaging in a, um, conspiracy theory phobia, 
right? They're like, they're, they're like the idea of even like acknowledging that Jews did have a disproportionate representation in the banks in the Weimar Republic, like to them to acknowledge that is to like, is, is like being afraid of being called a conspiracy theorist. And that like, people are so afraid of being labeled that, that they will like make batshit crazy arguments just to avoid that, just to avoid being labeled that. The and funny I think thing is, really well, the funny thing is, they're perfectly comfortable with conspiracism in other contexts. I feel, yes. I, 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 so like very, very much so, you know. I feel like a part of it's also probably just like general stupidity and an inability to like talk with me specifically because I make them quake in their boots. But I feel <laughs> like, well, I, I, I feel like a lot of it. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, it's the is ought gap. If you think you have it bridged, then you can't engage with inconvenient information because it would affirm the morals of your opponents, you know? If a person believed that the idea that black people commit more violent crime than white people meant that racism was justified against black people, then they would, if they wanted to remain not racist or maybe a little bit more cynically, to remain a uh, part of a community that claims to be not racist, would have to deny any evidence that black people commit a disproportionate amount of violent crime, no matter what sociological explanations there are, even if when you investigate this, as is so often the case, the reasons why black people commit a disproportionate amount of violent crime is because of racism. And if you learn that, knowing that fact can make you better argue against that point. Same is the case with almost any accusation levied against minority groups, you know? Whether you're taking a look at, like, average IQ statistics, which are heavily distorted by inequitable education, access to educational resources, food, and a bunch of other things, like community safety, cultural, like, stigmas, like, uh, you know, like, uh, the idea that you're being perceived as less intelligent can mean that you perform, like, worse on tests, which is a demonstrated psychological phenomena, to the Jewish thing, which is the only reason Jews were disproportionately represented in some of these industries, because fucking Gentiles forced them into those industries. Like, the more you yeah. learn about this, the more you learn how to fight against it. But, you know, if you have a very poorly actualized moral system, or a moral system which says, for example, you know, it's okay to kill bankers because they're bankers, you know, or, or like, if people control the banks, it's okay to kill them then it would be very difficult to reconcile that ethical position with an understanding of the world as it is without coming off really anti-Semitic, you know? Right. And so, and like, another thing too that like, really like, um, like, how do I put this? So like, one of the things that also, um, also, by the way, as, as, a, as a PhD scholar in like, uh, uh, rhetoric and rhetorical theory. Hearing non-compete talk about sophistry actually made me want to kill myself. Oh, Roblox, Roblox myself. Oh, we're on but, YouTube. Um, it's okay now. Don't worry. Okay, yeah, I wanted to kill myself the whole time. That actually made me want to seppuku myself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but like, um, it, it's like the, everyone who claims to be a generalist or claims to, um, um, uh, like everyone says that they're a generalist or everyone says that they think that all conspiracy theories are inherently irrational or not meeting the material conditions. Um, everyone says that until they reach a conspiracy theory that they actually agree with. Everyone says that all conspiracy theories are irrational until I find one that I actually believe in. So like, don't ever like, and this is for like chat specifically chat. If you ever run into someone who says that all conspiracy theories are bullshit, I guarantee you that person believes in a conspiracy theory. I 
guarantee you they believe in a conspiracy theory. It might be just one, it might be two, but they believe in it. Don't let people sit here and pretend like conspiracy theories, like people don't believe in conspiracy theories when they absolutely do, right? Like, I'll give a great, great example. So um, there's a guy, um, a sociologist, he's retired now, um, super conservative, um, and uh, named Ted Gortzel. He actually published a really a well-known um, article back in 1994 um, called Belief, I think, on belief in conspiracy theories. I think that's what it was called. Um, and he um, basically, it was a very, it, I, I still don't understand why it was as popular as it was. It was very simple. He basically did a telephone interview with a bunch of people and asked them if they believed certain conspiracy theories, and that was it. It was very mm -hmm. simple. But he basically, during his discussion section, he talks about um, uh, how all conspiracy theories are irrational and they engage in what he calls monological reasoning. Basically, facts don't care about your feelings. That's basically what monological reasoning is. It's that it's the, the perceived circular logic that's based on like emotional, ideological feelings or whatever. And um, so he's like sitting there saying that all conspiracy theories are like inherently irrational. They're monological. They're based on emotion, not facts or whatever. Now, keep in mind, he wrote this back in 1994, and this was around the time during the Anita Hill situation. And at the end of the article, he actually says that not all conspiracy theories are inherently irrational. Uh, for instance, David Brock, the guy who wrote the real Anita Hill book back in the early 90s, was making some really uh, interesting and I think uh, persuasive arguments uh, about how Anita Hill was actually a DNC plant to uh, stop uh, Clarence Thomas from getting a position in the Supreme Court. Now, there are some people who might have some reasonable arguments against this conspiracy, uh, against this conspiracy theory, but for the most part, everyone who disagrees with Brandon, Brandon uh, Mock is basically just engaging in monological reasoning. So all conspiracy theorists are engaging in, like, the circular reasoning, except for the conspiracy theories that I believe in. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, 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 at the end of the day, you know, um, a lot of what we describe as conspiracy theories is literally just working off inferential evidence to talk about the behavior of groups of people we can't directly supervise and oversee. And that's just yeah. a part of life. Um, it's and that's, it's and that's, oh, really that's, just about how valid you can construct, you know, you know, how, how, how good of a case you can make, you know? Right. And like, and, and that's, and that's why Grimes' model is so bad, despite the fact that it got so much media attention. It's such, it's such a bad model because all, for most conspiracy theory, for most con like real conspiracies, initially, all you can work with is inference. That's all like that, because that, again, they're tr like conspiracies are meant to work in secret, right? So a lot of the times you have to work on inference. Like, again, this goes back to my example about how surprise birthday parties would meet the definition of a real conspiracy because it meets all three conditions, right? I'm sure there are people in chat, myself included, who's been on the receiving end of like a surprise birthday party. And we're like, you know, I think they're about to, I think my th friends and family are going to throw me a surprise birthday party. You know, like, um, you know, Bob's asking, been asking me very specific questions um, uh, uh, for the past week or, or, or so. Um, uh, or, or my mom has been acting very weird. I like based on like a lot of the ways that my parents are behaving in the context that my birthday's coming up soon or whatever, I'm going to infer that they're probably going to throw me a birthday, a surprise birthday party, but I don't know. No. Um, oh, did I just make chat sad? I'm sorry, chat. I didn't mean to make you sad, you hurt their but, feelings. um, 
I, I'm so, so sorry. I didn't mean that. But like, um, but basically, um, uh, so yeah, so, um, so yeah, so like, that, like, that's all you could work on. You can only ever work on inference, right? And because none of us are God, none of us have this ability of knowing who is truly in control of what and who's working with who. All we can work with is just inference, basic evidence. You know, Bernstein um, was able to, Bob Woodward and Bernstein were able to point out Watergate based on initially inferences of inconsistent, um, um, uh, on what the evidence that was available at the time. So yeah, so like that, that's, that's, that's pretty much the main thesis of everything that I'm, I, I wanted to talk with you about was that particularism is based and generalism is cringe. I, uh, well, thank you for distilling it down to its fundamental essence at the, at the home stretch there. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm happy we had this conversation. Um, yeah. I think this is important because about 80% of talking with conservatives is dealing with conspiracy theory. So it's, yes. it's important to be able to grapple with that appropriately. Uh, and, and 80% of talking with liberals as a leftist is defending the cons things they call conspiracy theories. Yes. By, by which you mean like basic material analysis and, and yeah. a little bit of inference when we, cause we can't know everything all the time. I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. Now I have, I have one more thing that I have to show you because this is too, too perfect. Now don't like, uh, so I'm about to send you a link and uh -huh. I want you to look at the, so I, I go to Ohio university. If you've read my article, you know, my name and you know, my, my university, I don't care. So this is the library at my university. Are you playing darkest dungeon two right now? Oh, of course. That's based. I play video games while talking to people usually too. Yes. Wait, Dark is it, is, is it really, is it really Alden's library? Yup. Yup. <laughs> God damn. More powerful than I thought. <laughs> yep. Alden's library. Ohio university. Uh, uh, library is, uh, is it, uh, Richard? Yeah. Alden, uh, for, oh, for, for, and I don't never remember the first name, but yeah, Alden's library. Holy so, yeah. shit. That's some, that's some, uh, what, what do you call it? Nom nominative prescriptivism right there. Nominal prescriptivism. Yes. Yes. So yeah. So I just thought that was a, that was a perfect, like I had, I like, if I was going to talk to you, I had to show you that. that He's was real. Too, it, it's too, too. And what's funny is that when you debated that 15 year old Nazi kid, I, that was the, my first year in my PhD program at Ohio university. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm pulling it, was, it together. I'm, I, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're pulling together the threads. This is the yes. real conspiracy. Where, where, what prophecy revealed this name to me, and what does it mean? Yes, it's it was it was very good. But also, I should make a very quick case for Darkest Dungeon Two. Very good game. Any of the prompts? I know you had some issues with Darkest Dungeon One being too RNG heavy. Darkest Dungeon Two actually fixes most of the most of the RNG problems that the first game had. I do want to play Darkest Dungeon Two. It looks it looks interesting. Like what I like about it is that it's actually a roguelike and it doesn't have the tedium problem that the first game have. The Darkest Dungeon one, what like what, if you had a really good run and then all of a sudden bad luck hit you and like you lost all of your mercenaries, you know how to build everything from scratch and it was like boring as shit to do that. But in Darkest Dungeon 2, if you lose, you just start over. It's really, really, really good. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommend it. All yeah, right. but I'll I have, keep that in I mind. Really good yeah, I had a really good time uh, talking with you. I will stick to chat. Um, and if there are any new, like, conspiratorial stuff, um, I will send... Uh, I can like, I can just send you, like, academic articles your way if you put in your, your document. You have another so person you need to send things to. 
Uh, can you DM Tempest on Discord or on Twitter? Um, the uh, research so it can be linked in the video. I do not have Twitter because I like to stay alive. So reasonable. Just link it in chat uh, then. Okay. So um, does Tempest have a uh, what's what's uh, you, can you can you actually DM me Tempest's username so I can just send it directly to them? Yeah, sure. I know how to do this quickly. Da, 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 don't da, worry, da, I'm a boom, I'm a boomer with Discord. I don't understand how it works half the time. You could probably just literally link it in chat, and and he would be good to go. Uh, okay, because cool. you're both based VGG chatters. Um, okay, thank you for coming on. Awesome. It was a it was a great time talk. Also, by the way, this is going to sound so fucking like uh, uh, cringy, but my mom actually watches you, and she's watching me right now, and she's freaking out. Oh, hi, mom. Uh, his mom. <laughs> yeah. Hi, hi, his mom. Yes. I'll refrain so, yeah, from any comments because there are no, no comments she, to make. She finds you funny, so don't worry. Oh, okay. Um, she thinks you're funny as shit. So Not the only thing she finds me. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I'll see you around. Watch. I'll, I'll stay in chat. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, man.